No one knows what the shelf life is of a no. creator. Like, no. it's, it could be a year, two years, ten years. No one yeah. knows. We're starting to see AI influences appearing yes. and things like that. I mean, yeah. it's going to get, I mean, the whole thing is an absolute yeah. minefield. And I hope I'm in a box long before any of that comes across my desk type thing. I've got no interest in being a celebrity or an influencer. I'm remarkably middle name to middle age. Today, we have a very special guest, one of the people that I admire extremely, Alex Payne. Welcome to the podcast. Nice to see you. Thank you very much for having us. No, thank you for coming on. I, um, As I was saying just before this, I'm a huge rugby fan, yep. but I'm also a huge fan of the work you do outside of rugby, which I really want to touch on. So I thought it'd be great to have a conversation about rugby, about business, about influencer marketing, yep. um, and all of the above, really. Far um, away. Let's get into it. But first things first, Am I right in saying one of your first jobs was at IMG? God, yeah, that, wow. You've, you've have, you have well, delved back on, into the archives. Went on, went on LinkedIn. Yeah, first, I, did a, um, I did one of those summer internships, right. which would have been back in, God, it would have been about 2001, 2002, something like that. And yeah, so I, I, I had a, a very sort of, like most people do at, at a young, well, relatively young age, I was trying to sort of work out what I wanted to do. I looked to go into the army. I was potentially going to go, into marketing, I actually really wanted to be a sculptor for a while. But my my sort of one true love throughout my childhood was always sport, at yeah. any type of sport, all yeah. types of, you know, kicking balls, hitting balls, et cetera. And I ended up sort of beginning to start making some inroads into seeing what a sport, a career in the sports industry might look like. So I went and did some stuff at Bath. Um, I applied to Sky actually when I was about 20 and they said, come back when you've actually done something in the industry. <laughs> and then I did one of these summer internships with IMG, which is a two month, um, sort of summer holiday job, basically. I think we paid like 25 quid a day or something like that. Oh, and it was eye-opening in a number of different ways. But I, the, the bits I remember, I, I made some very good friends doing it. IMG at the time were the poster agency in that kind of world. We had breakfast with Mark McCormack, who was the yeah. kind of the grandfather of, of sports marketing. That's so still speak. huge. Yeah, oh, absolutely yeah. enormous, yeah. yeah. Um, and TWI are phenomenal. Mm. Um, McCormack was a fascinating character. He was really shrewd and savvy. He was quite. He actually died, I think, about eighteen months after the, the internship. So he, he died very shortly afterwards. But he was the guy. Who I think it was with Arnold Palmer. Um, Arnold Palmer won the U.S. Open, and they gave him a bottle of champagne with Moe on it. And McCormack was mates with him and said, "Turn the champagne around." So, so you're not endorsing Moe. If Moe want to be in your hands. Yeah. You, they're going to have to pay you. And from that, the whole kind of sports industry kind of started, really, I think. I mean, that's what they say. Um, so, yeah, amazing. And I sort of crossed paths with loads of people who I met at that, that point in my career on, on numerous sort of times over, mm. over the years since in various different guises. But um, it's a hell of an agency, and it was a, an amazing place to work yeah. for a couple of months. So was it the internship, was it talent management-based? No, I actually ended up working in... So I think they took about 30 of us, funnily enough. And I had a, a good mate from school who did it. Zoe Jordan did it, who's Eddie Jordan's daughter. Mm. So um, I think she went off into the fashion world. Um, bizarrely, there's a, a very good mate of my son's now at school. And her mum was on it. I think his mum was on it and things like that. So, you know, it was a good collection of people who've gone off to do very interesting things off the mm. back of it. She runs a charity in India, actually. Um I actually ended up working, I think, in the T in the television arm of it, to yeah. TWI, and I was working on what would have been the, so probably the I think it was the 2015, excuse me, World Cup bid or something like that, mm. and I, they knew I was relatively interested in rugby, and there was all sorts of bits and bobs going on. But yeah, I was getting out. I can't actually remember what we did. It was getting out and about and, and trying to help sell television programs and um, pulling together promos and things like that. It was quite television based at the time. So how did uh, journalism and punditry come about then? Well, so that is a very good question. It it kind of, um, I always say I was very, very lucky to get where I've got to. And I'm very fortunate in, when I was about 10 or, 30, 10 or, 10 or 11, I, I used to watch a lot of, it was a program called Rugby Special. It was on every Sunday night, followed Ski Sunday. It was a sort of religion for me back in the you know, pre-satellite days. And I used to watch it religiously, very, very big into the sport. Had, you know, all my heroes played rugby. And I will never forget my lying on a beanbag watching the programme. My mum walked in one one Sunday and said, look, you, you're going to have to find something else to do because you're never going to have a career watching rugby. <laughs> and I have reminded her how of that wrong. numerous times, how, how wrong she yeah. could be. 
So I, I ended up in sort of, as I said, looking at the sports industry as a whole. And I went to work for some very big agencies like IMG. I went to work for some very little ones at the time, like Benchmark Sport, who were brilliant. They, they were operating in a, a Muse office off Charlotte Street. And I had, I can't remember what it was that I had lined up. I had two weeks work experience lined up somewhere and it fell through mm. on the Monday morning, the first morning. And so I literally got out what was at the time the blue Thompson telephone directory. How, how old are you? <laughs> Twenty-eight. I, yeah, so I you wouldn't even know, know this. It's that. so depressing for someone as old as me. <laughs> but I, I ended up getting the Thompson hot, um, telephone directory out, and I rang yeah. through sports marketing agencies, and I picked up the phone. I said, "Look, hello, I'm keen. I'm eager. I've got two weeks starting now. Can I come and do the photocopying?" And I got from A to B, and I got to B for Benchmark, and they said, "I got through to the, the MD, and he said, Do you bat or bowl?'" I said, well, I'm pretty average at both, but I'd probably bat. He goes, right, you've got an interview here at two o'clock, bring a bat. And so I got on the tube and I went to Charlotte Street and I took a bat and the whole, I think they had like six or seven people, but all of the office bowled at me while no. asking me questions. And they said, brilliant, we'll see you back here tomorrow. You're on tea and coffee and photocopying duty. And I actually, I hoiked the ball out of the, uh, out of the muse. So that <laughs> ended the interview, but um, it, just, it was just brilliant. It was, yeah, yeah. it was a very, I sound unbelievably old saying it. It was a very, I was going to say different era, but that makes me sound hundred. It was just it was it was much more kind of sparky and spontaneous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there were far less, less worries in the world and processes and all that kind of thing. They didn't know me from Adam, and they said, "Bro, see you tomorrow." Yeah. Um, whereas now there are hoops and loops and all sorts of things to jump through. So anyway, I I did a lot of work experience. I ended up writing to Sky and saying, "Can I come and make the team coffee?" Mm. They said, "No, go and do some other bits." So I built a bit of a CV, and then they said, "Yes, come on in," and I started. Again, just doing work experience. I've worked on Soccer AM in the glory days, which yeah. was a hell of a show yeah, and an yeah. amazing kind of education. My love was always rugby. I ended up working my way into the rugby department. Yeah, because am I right in saying you did things like dart? You did other stuff. Yeah, I did right? darts. The first thing I ever did actually was Fishomania with, Eddie, it, with yes. Eddie Hearn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had Eddie on our, our podcast the other day, and it's it's extraordinary how big the sports industry is, and yet how small it is. Yeah. At the same time, so I've known Eddie for twenty odd years now, and I did Fishomania with him, and then poker. Mm. And he has, he's gone on to slightly more impressive things than I have <laughs> in the ensuing time. But um, the, the, the way the journalism began actually was that they knew I was very keen and they knew I knew my stuff. I'd never done any public speaking, debating or training or anything like that. And one day, it was a Friday night, I'll never forget it. And I was, I was, keen, I was keen and eager and I was in the right place. And one Friday night, the, the executive producer, who's an absolute wizard, a proper sort of doyen of television, um, yelled across the office and said, we haven't got a reporter for the Army-Navy game tomorrow, which is 82,000 at Twickenham, but it's yeah. sort of, it's, it's lower level in terms of the big games. Yeah. We haven't got a reporter who wants to do it. And I said, uh, yeah, I'm, I'll probably, if, and he said, yeah, great, you're doing it. So I went home at seven o'clock at night on the Friday. I was back at Twickenham at 10 a.m. on the Saturday and by 12 o'clock, I was live on air reporting into a, and I'd never, I never, I hadn't done a minute's training. Really? And you just wouldn't get that now. And oh no, you'd have to go through all the yeah, training. Yeah, exactly. All the media yeah. work. Yeah. They, they, what they did is they took a kid who, who worked very hard to be in the right place at the yeah. right time, but knew nothing and said, right, we'll train you up. And it was pre social media. So how old were you at this point? I would have been 24. Wow, that's you. Yeah, and young. actually, I was 24 and I looked about 10. I mean, I, I, I moisturize twice daily yeah. now, trying to remain looking <laughs> young, but it was, I looked very, very young. And I, d I don't know whether this is a sort of podcast where you can use this type of analogy, but I always say the early years of my broadcasting career was a bit like an unflushable turd, which is that I just wouldn't go away. Yeah. But that you, you know, you sort of, you get the analogy and, and, and yeah, I yeah. sort of hung around long enough that eventually it began to get a little bit better. Mm. And um, yeah, and then, and then, so that would have been September. And then by the following June, I was reporting on a Lions tour in New Zealand. And so it just wow, took off really, quickly. really quick. Yeah, very, very quick. Now, is that because they didn't have a, how do I put this? Did they not have they a lot of, <laughs> basically, did they not have a lot of pundits at that time? No, they did. No, they did. You just, you I just got impressed. very, very lucky. Yeah. So um, I keep saying I got very, very lucky, but I believe very strongly that you have to be in the right place at the right time 100%. to be lucky. Yeah, you've got yeah. to work very hard to get into that spot. Yeah. And then you've got to be ready to take you've got to be ready to. Yeah. So the reason I ended up on that line story is there were two far more senior reporters than I was. Mm. But one of them didn't want to do a 13-week tour to New Zealand 
because he had family commitments. Mm. And, an, and another one who was slightly younger had a child who very sadly wasn't very well. And so I would never have got anywhere near it. But circumstance suddenly meant, well, these two can't do it all. Uh, therefore, you're off. And so, you know, I literally packed my bags with six months experience. Nah. And it's, I mean, for me, the Lions is always the most special thing in, yeah. in rugby and, and one of the most special things in sport. And I was totally and utterly out of my depth, mm. like horrendously out of my depth. And it was a, it was the 2005 tour, which was been way before your time, but it was no, toxic. No, I, 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 I remember, it. Yeah, oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. So it was a horrible it tour. Was the one that Dan Carter just Dan Carter it. was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. But um, Alistair Campbell was part of the Lions media team. The whole thing fell apart at the seams. <laughs> and I was a 25 year old, very, very wet behind the ears reporter, trying very hard to hang on to the story. Mm. Um, and it, I mean, you learn very, very quickly. I, I, I can remember Campbell taking me aside. I sort of mentioned this before. At one of the press conferences, I think in Dunedin, and he leant over and he said, Look, Alex, could you do me a favor? I'd love you to ask a question to the, to the top table during the conference mm. as to why we're here in Dunedin. Yeah. And I said, yes, of course, Alistair. And so halfway through the sort of presser, I put my hand up and I said, Sir Ian McGeekin, could you tell us why we're all here in Dunedin? And he said, well, yes, thank you, Alex. We're here because we're doing a community initiative and blah, blah, blah. And he sort of trotted out this, what was attempted to sort of PR, goodwill, let's get everybody on side message. And every single journalist, and there's some proper wizened old hacks in there, yeah. put their pen down and turned around and, and sort of stared with a look of utter disgust that someone should sort of corrupt their press conference in such a way. And I, th I think I lost the trust of the written media for probably the, the, the remainder of my career. <laughs> but it, it, it just was, you, you wouldn't get many people starting their careers now no. in, in the way that I was very fortunate to. And I came back from the Lions tour, I got thrown onto Sky Sports News. Again, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Mm. You just, you couldn't do it now and you wouldn't do it now because the amount of mistakes that I made, you would just be butchered by yeah. social media. You'd be, you'd be a I meme and a parody. Like, like yeah. We've all had those the moments. Brain just yeah, 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 switched yeah. off, and everyone was like, "That wasn't even that." Actually, he, he, I, the one you're referring to was, and I was working with him that Davis guy. You you get um, you get your. It's like occasionally if the sound people in the trucks yeah. aren't doing their job properly. Yeah you end up getting yourself on a one and a half second delay. And it's the right. most discombobulating thing you will ever come across. You honestly think you're having a stroke. I had something very, That's very similar. That's what you did look like. Yeah. Did, yeah. And, and so you're hearing yourself, but on, it's, yeah. it's impossible to deal with. And if you've done loads of television, you know you take one ear off and you get your ba bearings back. Yeah. But he didn't know what he was talking about. Uh, he didn't know what was going on. And he ended up sort of going, and that, and going viral, I mean, going across the world. Yeah, yeah. And that's the extraordinary thing now is that I had a very, very similar incident. I mean, appallingly embarrassing. And I've done probably 20,000 hours of live television. I've covered hundreds and hundreds and hundreds yeah. of international test matches. And all anybody says is what happened to you at the Bath Wasps game in whatever it was, 2013, I think it was. Mm. And I just got my, my, my sound wet. <clears throat> and I will never forget, you know, you, you, it's like Jean Vandervelde, who was the man who was leading the Open with mm. by seven shots walking yeah. down the 18th and ended up losing it, put it in the bunker and then put it in the stream and put it back in the bunker and yeah. the whole thing imploded. Yeah. <clears throat> um, it's amazing now that if you want to get, it probably leads into influencer marketing actually. Mm. If you want to go viral, if you do something spectacularly badly, yeah, yeah, you could be across it. the world before you know it. Yeah. And um, so I'm very glad that the, the, the beginning of my career was pre-social media, et cetera, because yeah. I'd never have, never have survived in That's this That's very interesting that now you've got a social media based agency then. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the two are very, well, the two are intrinsically linked because what we've built with Room Unlocked is a, you know, it's a, it's a solution to the problem that I saw. Yeah. Uh, yeah, tell me about that story of how it came about because I've, I've read about it. Yeah, so it's, it, the whole, that the, the whole reason actually for, for looking at other things to do, when I started presenting, I was working on Sky Sports News and I would be going into work at 6 p.m. Mm. and I'd be coming off air at midnight. So you, you'd do the 6 till 12 shift. And so I would have been 25 and, you know, I had Monday to Fridays free. I had a couple of mates who weren't really working and so I'd play mm. a bit of tennis with them and then I'd go to the golf range and I'd have a cup of coffee and I might go for a haircut. And after about six months, you get incredibly bored. Yeah. And, you know, all of my friends were off doing interesting things and they were at the bottom of their ladders, et cetera. Um, and so I thought I've got to find something a bit more to do. And so I started various companies in, in an attempt to sort of fill my days a bit more productively. 
And I had a surf label for a bit and I had a digital publishing company. I've done presentation coaching and all sorts of other bits and bobs. But the reason for Room Unlocked came about because, and I've got no interest in being a celebrity or an influencer. I'm remarkably middle lane to middle age. And I, you know, I don't really do very much online. But I used to get, and I still do occasionally, I get brands who would either slide into my DMs and say, you know, can we, can we throw it? So I've got for, in the last three months, I've had two examples. I've had a, a fabulous looking women's athletic wear brand who keep coming up in my DMs saying, we'd love to send you our latest sports bra. We think you'd be a great brand ambassador. <laughs> and it's 2023, anything goes. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm also kind of a bit like, Guys, you've got to be, I'm 43, I'm washed up, I'm over yeah, the somebody's hill. Somebody's not doing that research. Somebody's not doing that. Somebody's yeah. just pressing a button yeah, and copy yeah. and paste. And then I had another one very, very recently from a, <clears throat> a beef jerky company in Dallas that said, we'd love to send you three packets of our beef jerky mm. and we'll pay you $50 to put it on your Instagram. You look perfect for us. And I'm like, again, guys, if you're trying yeah. to advertise your beef jerky from Dallas via a bloke who lives in Shepherd's Bush and is yeah. somebody, somebody. So, there are people out there doing it very, very well, but there are people out there doing it very, very badly. <clears throat> and what we've built with Room Unlocked came back from one of these things that I got thrown, which was a box with about 500 quid's worth of Star Wars merchandise in it. Mm. You'll know it better than I will, but books, yeah, yeah. games, DVDs, TV controls, all that sort of stuff. And a very nice note, and they said, Alex, we hope you love all of this. If you do, we'd love you to tweet about the fact that we are showing Star Wars back to back on our movie channel all weekend. Mm. Classic promo box. Every brand in the world is trying to get them out of the front door. What they want is social media. Again, every brand is hunting exposure online. And yet they had used an agency who'd crunched data and sweated their network and they tried all sorts of routes to give these hundred boxes out. One of which came to yours truly, who's got absolutely no interest in Star Wars whatsoever. I haven't seen it since I was eight. No interest in watching Star Wars a weekend. I don't really want the box on my desk. And for some unknown reason, I can't really begin to tell you why I did it. I sent this really half-assed, half-baked tweet saying, you can watch Star Wars this weekend. Oh, so you did it. So I did the tweet. Wow. And I, again, I, I, I don't really know why. I, I'd never do. Yeah. Um, but it got absolutely no engagement at all. I don't get very much engagement anyway, but it got absolutely no engagement. Yeah. And so what I was left with at the end of this absolute mess is the most successful movie franchise in history have come up with a really good idea. They know what they want from it. They've spent time, money, and effort on it. They've burned their agency hours on it. And they are getting the square root of nothing back for all of that energy. Mm. Why are they not able to find... 100 people at the click of a button who have got an engaged audience, yeah. who love the films, who want the box and create the content because it's something they believe in and they're interested in. And that's essentially the platform that we've built. So instead of Star Wars running around headlessly and going, you, 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 here's a box, do something with it, you put essentially an offer, uh, we call it an opportunity up on the platform. Hello, we're Star Wars. We've got really cool limited edition Star Wars merchandise. Yeah. And we're looking for people who love the films, want the box, and we'll happily talk about our viewings next weekend. And it goes onto one side of the marketplace. And on the other side, income, we term pre-vetted people of influence. Yeah. So we're not just about, you know, people who pose against a brick wall with 100,000. No. We're people like people with strong opinions and people who achieve a lot. But and, with some kind of following. Yeah, yeah. 97% no, yeah. no, yeah. no, of the membership that we've got have got a strong so okay. social media presence. I, I'll, I'll give you some examples of others who don't yeah. in a moment because actually it's really interesting. But when they're on the inside, they are able to then send Star Wars a message saying, I love it, send it my way and I'll yeah. put it on my Instagram. Or my son is obsessed with Star Wars right now. Please send it our way. We'll do a lovely YouTube video and he'll be absolutely delighted when we talk about yeah, the viewings. Yeah. Or you get, might get a radio DJ who says, do you know what, I've got a two-hour show on Friday. Ping me three of those. I'll use them as competition mm. prizes and I will talk about the fact that you can... Um, watch the films at the weekend. So what you get as a brand are people coming to you saying, I love it, I need it, I want it, and I will talk about it because it's interesting to me. Mm. And what you get as a, a sort of a person of influence is the opportunity to connect with the brands over the things you love. And we will both know now that it's absolutely right, 100% correct, to pay the right person oh, yeah. to be the yeah, face yeah. of your brand. And for that, you'll get the control of message and their time, and you'll be mm. able to work with them on what it is that you're looking for. But I also fundamentally believe there are too many brands paying too much money to too many people to talk about them. Yeah. And there is a way now, and what we're trying to sort of help brands understand, is that if you connect with the people who love your brand and you reward their fandom and they, you build their love of your brand, they actually will give you often far more than you'll get just by paying one of the wrong people to talk about you. Yeah. So if I say to you, I'll give you a thousand quid for a post, you'll stick up a post. Mm. If I say to you, if you really love my brand, here's a whole load of opportunities, mm. you talk about it far more authentically, far more regularly, far more in, in the stories that you're telling, which I think places it more naturally. 
Um, and so what we've built, we think, is a really powerful layer of amplification for whatever a brand is doing. Go and find the right person, mm. work with them, have a really strong relationship with them, but unlock the people who love you as well because they will take you to more places with more sort of relevancy, more interesting potential yeah. opportunities than just you trolling through and pinging people's so DMs. do the <clears throat> brands pay you, because I'm trying to figure out the business model, so do the brands pay you a retainer of sorts? So more of a subscription, a yeah. Subscription. So they can, they can, they can either come on and buy a single or they can right. take it all the way up to a sort of an annual subscription where they can do as much as they like. Got you. Okay. So there's no money transaction between no. the brand and no. the creator. No. How does that work from a disclosure point of view? So that is a very good question. The We, we talk to the ASA regularly because originally um, the, the guidelines for the, from the ASA were if you control message or money is exchanged um, or there's control of content, mm. then that has to be hashtag ad. We are not any of those things. There's no money. There's no control yeah. of content. It's giving you to, and go forth and get so it. So it was hashtag gifted. So there's no direction. So I'm just trying to. So there's no direction in terms of you have to post this many posts. You the, you can do that, but as soon as you do that, you're 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 straying more into the, the, the short answer to your yeah. question is that it won't be very long until every collaboration, gifted yeah. or paid, is hashtag ad. Mm. We have had a. There are nuances that we have meant uh, that have meant we've allowed our clients to, to or our, sorry, our creators yeah. to go with hashtag gifted but the landscape it, it changes all the time yeah. um we educate our members on you know we've got some notice boards and notifications mm. that we can send them on, on what the latest guidelines are um we've got some brands like alcohol brands who are absolutely adamant that everything has to be hashtag ad and we've got yeah. more challenger brands who go do you know what i'm just going to give it to you you go have fun and we don't think that sits in the asa so i think we'll all end up in the in the hashtag ad Hashtag gifted. The other thing that we do encourage our members to do is to have very clear declarations in what they post. Um, mm. And you can, I think you can talk very openly and transparently, which is I'm working with this brand. I'm trying it. I love it. I've yeah. always been a fan of. I'm really grateful for type thing. Which That's gives the important you, bit as well, is making yeah. sure that the audience know why they're doing yeah. it and not trying to trick people. Absolutely, into. yeah. Have you ever thought about introducing a paid element to so it? That is really interesting. And it's very topical because the answer to your question is yes. <clears throat> We've actually got certain clients of ours, sort of our bigger clients, who every so often will say, that we, we love what you do, but actually we've got, we've got a specific need for this. So O2 would be a very good example. They give out um, gig tickets and England rugby shirts and mobile phones and new mm. tariffs. And they're always trying to find people who want to engage with the marketing collateral that they've got. They actually came to us, uh, I can't remember what it was, a while ago. And they said, we've actually got a specific need for someone to attend one of our red carpet events for, I think it's the Elton John premiere or something like that. We need a red carpet host to walk the red carpet and interview everybody, et cetera. Mm. Have you got anyone who'd be interested? We've got a budget of hypothetically, let's say 15 grand. So we said, yeah, sure, we'll pop it on the platform. And what's really interesting about that is when you put it up, what they got in return were loads of people saying, I love Elton John and I've always supported Watford. Yeah. Or I've got every single Elton John um, outfit. Or I'm desperate to come and do this type thing. And they bid their fees down. And so they, when you want to do something, it's interesting that the, the sort of the brand love that we, we advocate is still part of that mm. collaboration. When people really want to do something, they will... Do you think you've some fees, people pretending, though, that they loved Elton John because so that it could get that opportunity? Uh, possibly, but they only needed one and they took the most authentic message. Yeah. So, um, uh, yes or no, it's, it's a fine balance. I mean, I think it's a really interesting debating point. I think essentially it's push and pull marketing. When a brand goes to an influencer and says, I'd love to work with you, the, the control is in the influencer's hands. Yeah. They say, cool, if you want to work with me, this is what it costs. And that's great. And there's some very, very good collaborations that can yeah. take place that way. But when a brand says, this is what we're doing, you come to us if you want to be a part of it, then as a, a, a creator or an influencer or whatever it want, you, you want to term it, you've got to think very carefully about how you position yourself. So if you go in and say, brilliant, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to charge you 15 grand, well, there are going to be lots of other people who potentially will do, do it for less type yeah. thing. So yeah. I do think there is that brand love element. And it's exactly the same with the gifting element that we create, which is that where it's very self-policing is that the, 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 the collaboration is that you will get access to the brand that you love and in return, you'll talk about it. And if you don't talk about it, then you're not really much value to us on the platform and we remove the keys to the hole. So you, mm. you know, you, you, you're, we don't need you as a member anymore. And therefore, there's a lot of self-policing. There's no point in, bid, in me bidding on 
Polly Pocket or whatever it is because I've got no right. interest in putting it on my things. I only really want to talk about the things that I love and therefore yeah. I will connect with the brands who've got things that are interesting to me. The unwritten rule in all of this actually is that I think content creators now are increasingly savvy to the fact that they have to have a blend of content on their channel. If you just serve up paid content, I think you are in danger of alienating your audience. It's not just that, you mess up your algorithm. Well, you can't, oh yeah. you can't, it's, it's, it's just not feasible to just do ads. We have some creators that they don't do a ton of organic yeah. content yeah. and then they get loads of brand deals and we have to actively be yeah. like, you have to space yeah. it out. And it's hard to say no when, yeah. you're, when you're getting those deals. Yeah, for sure. Because it, no one knows what the shelf life is of a no. creator. Like no. it's, it could be a year, two years, 10 years, no one yeah. knows. So we always say take the opportunities when they're there, but you're dead right. You can't just make an account now based on ads. No. Uh, what we champion, I'd, I'd be interested in your view on this actually, yeah. is of course you should earn your money and those are your commercial yeah. deals. You've got to talk about the things you love yeah. and what we give you is the opportunity for, for your contra or your gifted deals. And actually increasingly, I think the people who are going to sit at the top of the tree of influence in inverted commas are those who actually also back support and advocate causes. Yeah. So we talk a lot about commercial contra and cause, and when you get the blend of that right, mm. your stock rises, your audience remains engaged, your audience grows, etc. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. Just just slapping up paid campaigns left, right, and centre. No, we well, don't go onto social media to be advertised to. No. We're happy to take it yeah. if people create content that we we want to follow. But it's an organic playground where you are amused and entertained and informed. There's a balancing act there because I hear what you're saying. We we don't go on social media to to be advertised to yeah. but we go on to social media to be influenced yeah. we do go on there to see the people we love see the people yes. that we're, especially when it comes to say like a beauty content creator yeah. we have loads of beauty content creators on our books their fans go to them to see you know the latest tips looks, tricks, tips, yeah. tricks tutorials whatever yeah. it may be so there is an element of like which mascara is she using yeah so in that aspect no they're not looking to be advertised but in terms of what you said about your my take on on who will kind of like rise to the top yeah. when it comes to those creators we tell every one of our creators if you start promoting things that you do not believe in yeah whether the money's good or not your fans will see through it immediately the more you get paid the more control the brand has so the content that's going to get made is not going to be organic to your channel so i completely agree it's just a very hard balancing act between them making a living when they're yeah. doing it full time. Yeah. And that's where someone like yourself or, you know, a sports person who can do it as a as a side income can say no very easily to it. Yeah. Content creators, it's quite difficult to say no to things. Yes. Mm. Yes. And that's where I begin to feel quite old because... <laughs> You know, I I I missed. I, I was already through out the other side, as it were, mm. when when sort of content creation became a full time job. And yeah. I understand it, and I get it, and I see it on an everyday basis. Yeah. Whether I think that the concept of the content creator has got ultimate longevity, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're starting to see AI influencers appearing yes. and things like that. I mean, it's yeah. going to get. I mean, the whole thing is an absolute yeah. minefield, and I hope I'm in a box long before any of that comes across my desk type thing. But I, I, and what, what, what I genuinely believe and where I am very passionate around what we're doing at Room Unlocked is it, it still fundamentally comes back to good brands and good people yeah. creating good collaborations. That's what I love about the model as well, because we obviously work with so many agencies and brands and I completely agree. There are so many brands spending an in, insane amount of money yeah. on poor results, poor engagement. Yeah poor authenticity and there's the main thing is there's a lack of education within the yeah. industry of how to make it work and that's what what your platform does so well i think so i think we we offer we offer a very alternative way of looking it at it it is a I very think. alternative um, way for sure because i can imagine because i've been on your your website and seen some great case studies yeah but also i can imagine that because we've seen it from gifted partnerships if, yeah. if you will the reach nine times out of ten doesn't compare to the macro creators out there that that demand payment well it can do yeah. it can do i mean we've got an example i can't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head but mm. we did a very very I mean, astonishingly powerful campaign with virgin voyages where they took 30 of our creators on a cruise mm. and they created 2,000 pieces of content between them yeah in four days those and activations are great like that extraordinary yeah. and that's that's very much the tip of the iceberg yeah but yeah, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's, it's a bit like 
trying to sort of define advertising by a single kind of metric. You know, yeah. you, you can advertise very well or you can advertise very badly. Yeah. And, and again, you can use influencers accordingly. You can work very well with some. And it may well be that macro is absolutely the right way to go. Yeah. Or it may be for a brand actually working with 100 micro is is far more effective for them. It's it's There's a huge kind of sliding scale for the it. the best influencer strategy has a bit of everything. Yeah, completely and, would agree And those that. brands that pay for a one-off macro created to post once on their social media and then yeah. go, oh, it didn't work. Yeah. Well, it was never going to work. No. You have to have a balanced strategy from micro, macro, mid-level, gifted, paid. Absolutely. And it also needs to be long-term. Always on is exactly Always what I was going to say. And I, I think influencers are, and we may, we may disagree on this, and that'd be quite <laughs> fun. I, I think a very small section of the influencer community are, are, are hugely effective at sales. I think influencers are a very, very good awareness tool. I think they're better at awareness yes. right now. It, it's, if, yeah. you're, if you're cutting the cake, why yeah. t- uh, the reason for using influencers, a larger slice would be awareness over sales. Agreed. My rebuttal would be, isn't most marketing channels about awareness and then it trickles yes. down to conversion? You have, you, have to, you have to know what it is that you want to buy. Yeah. And so that's where exactly. it sort of all feeds, top of the funnel stuff. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that social media, even away from influencers, just social media gives you is the analytics that yes. no other platform can give you. Yeah. And that can make your conversion strategy moving forward way more effective. Yes. But I agree. There are a lot of creators, especially even... It's actually the macro creators who nine times out of 10 are poor at conversion. Yes. Because they've got a lot of dead followers. They've got a lot of followers from different territories that are never going to buy that product. Yeah. So we, I always call those kind of following numbers just vanity, vanity metrics. Yes. Because they're, just, they're, not, they're not real when it comes to conversions. And that's why I don't know if you've dabbled or seen much about TikTok shop and, yeah. and things like that you actually see a lot of the people performing well on there have yeah. far smaller audiences, yeah. far more engaged. Yeah. Kind of like the creators that you're... And, and I with. think that the TikTok phenomenon is, is very interesting because I... And what we have seen, I think, again, I sort of show my age, is the journey that we've been on with, with Room Unlocked is not only have we seen our creators moving across various social media tools. Yeah. So when we launched, Facebook was a thing. Twitter was still, you know, very active for our yeah. members. It's now... Uh, we've had Snapchat for a little bit, a bit of Twitch. It's now all Instagram, but TikTok is exploding. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that I think has, has happened is that brands have gone from basically buying their way onto a grid post. So they are, I, I'll give you an example in a moment, but they are th- at the beginning, they were like, we want you to say this and position it accordingly. And this is the image we want to see on your yeah. post. And now what they're saying is, we want to plug into the stories you're telling yeah. and we want yeah, yeah. you to, to tell you want, we want you to tell your audience why you love our brand and so they have ceded a lot of that kind of control i'll give you a, a fascinating kind of sort of analogy of a, a brand that we work with it's a chip brand and i did not build room unlock to work with chip <laughs> brands but they came to us and said we love what you're doing yeah. we want to see whether we can um engage some some influencers on your platform and we said well you know cool, let's go for it. And they were like, brilliant. And what we want them to do is to create the dish where the chips are at 45 degrees to the ketchup with the peas of a certain shade. We were just, oh my God, please don't, just don't worry about it. What we said to them is we've got this incredible celebrity golf opportunity. You can have a stand on one of these celebrity golf, it was a nine hole pitch and putt in Chiswick. Um, Give chips to everybody that comes through, make an absolute boatload of content, have a real giggle. And they were like, no, we're, we're much more interested in chips on a plate at 45 degrees. And I, 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 this was a while ago. I, th- I think there is a real willingness. I think it was a real reluctance at that point. But I think there is a real, is there a willingness? Is, there a, is it a point of friction? I don't know. I think some brands are very happy to throw themselves into the hands of creators and say, yeah. go for it. Others are probably required to be far more careful and yeah. others haven't quite got and that. And if you look at the, the brands that have done it well, yeah. Gymshark, yeah. for example, they let their creators get on with it yeah. and they do huge activations like they just did one in Manchester a few weeks ago which some of our creators were at to make all that of amazing content like the golf day that you um, presented and if you, you only have to look at the best brands doing influencer to know that you've got to give the creators yeah. the room yeah. to, to do what they do basically because yeah. it doesn't work because if you direct creators too much on their own page people 
don't they know not they don't just know it's an ad they hate that it's an ad yes so then they just scroll or they don't engage and then that's what's yeah. the, what's the point in that yeah completely um so i guess this is quite a a big question but what is your opinion then of the inf the paid influencer market well i think it's I, mean, I think it's definitely here to stay. I think it's a it's a bit like going back to that advertising analogy. I think some are doing it unbelievably well yeah. and are really engaging in how they work. It's phenomenal content and they are doing remarkably powerful things for the brands that they're working with. I think some are doing it incredibly badly. Yeah. So it's not a hugely scientific answer for you. Some are great, some aren't. What I think is really interesting and I sort of have seen this a little bit is that I think... I think the next iteration potentially, and I can't remember who it was, it was KSI or one of uh, Logan Paul or somebody, they're beginning to now describe themselves as founders. And mm. um, where I think the next real sort of big meaty success stories are going to appear is where, where influencers and brands not just collaborate over content, but they are intertwined. They are, yeah. you know, the, the influencer is part of the business. Yeah. And you look at Prime, which is an extraordinary example mm. of what unbelievable hype numbers can do online and you just bottle up. I mean, I've, I've got a 10 year old boy who will walk across London to find a green bottle of prime, yeah. which disappoints me intensely. But <laughs> I, I think there is something very interesting in that. And I, I think back to the, the P Diddy Ciroc vodka, which was, I mean, it must be 15 years old now. And they said, we'll mm. pay you a million quid a year to be the face of the brand, a million dollars a year to be the face of Ciroc vodka. And he stopped and he thought about it. He said, no bollocks, give me 10% of the company and we'll go on this journey together. And every single party he walked into, mm. he was clutching a bottle of Ciroc Vodka and he exited for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions. And I, I think that is, I, I think we will see a rise in influencers as, as business commodities over just content creators. Um, mm. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's where it's going. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think it is a bit, it's a bit like anything really. I think those who are doing it really badly are spoiling it for those who are doing it really well. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, the word in, we, we actually yeah. used to be called the influence room that's what our mm. original name was and we removed the word influence because so many of our members I, I hate the word yeah. influencer yeah. Well, it's I, prefer toxic, co I prefer content creators content creators far, yeah. far better but then that, that doesn't yeah. cover everybody no you mentioned uh, going off tangent a bit you mentioned um, you, ha you have two young kids right I, uh, yeah 13 and 10 so relatively yeah 13 going on 16 my and wife and I had a baby, our first baby about 10 months ago and I'm always interested to speak speak to other business owners yeah. who have kids yeah how do you balance your work life personal life but how do you balance running a business doing podcasting and then kids um I, I sincerely hope my wife won't listen to this because I think she'll have a very different opinion to, to I will it's um it's a very good question so I was very very lucky I think that when my kids were very young mm. I was heavily involved at sky and i wasn't working what i would call regular hours now that's right. that was a real bonus in that so i was basically at home monday to friday and then i'd disappear on a on a weekend to go and cover the sport which meant that i have probably been to more ballet recitals and swimming lessons and i right. the most parents get the chance to do or you know working parents anyway um now it's different and my you know my daughter's at secondary school my son is you know sort of heavily heavily in, involved in school as you'd expect. And yeah. it is really difficult. So we were chatting in the lift actually before we mm. came up about, you know, how much broadcasting I do now. That is the element that's fallen by the wayside mm. because I don't want to be away from home. I used to do 42 weekends a year. So is that one of the main elements of why you're not doing broadcasting anymore? Uh, well, there are a number of elements. I think, <laughs> um, I think being 43 and very pale male stale doesn't, you know, I, I get it and I, I don't, I wouldn't challenge it. I've done 20 years of it. Yeah. Um, did good, bad, the rugby have anything to do with not being able to do as much punditry? Because uh, you're a lot freer in what. Yeah, you can we are say a lot freer. Um, good, bad, and rugby is a sort of a is a hobby that we love that's become a bit of a beast. Yeah. Um, so I, my, my life now is is chaotic, and I mean properly, properly chaotic. But I absolutely love it like that. Yeah. So you know, yesterday I was doing presentation coaching with quite a high profile individual i've had meetings this morning about rugby world cup in france i'm mm. obviously doing your podcast i've got sales calls when i get back i've got an interview with a new uh, a new um hire that we're trying to make it, it's very very all over the place yeah. and i i quite like that um that, how does that feed into the family it's very feast or famine so i i they, they my kids would say that i work very very hard um 
and I would say, but I'm I'm free to be able to make the big thing, so I yeah. can go and watch my daughter You've play netball. I've got flexibility. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also, I'm I, I I'm 43. I'm sort of I'm quite enjoying the race and the chase and the yeah. hustle. Um, and I don't think you feel that forever. Mm. Um, it's not easy, um, but I I am very conscious of it. I try very hard to be in the right place at the right time yeah. for all parties. So we'll see. We've got about 20 minutes left and I'm going to use this to talk about rugby. Okay. It's my podcast and I want to talk about rugby. <laughs> okay. So I don't care if anybody else cool. is listening. It's we, we have a podcast which is about rugby and we hate talking about rugby. So this is a, it's sort of inverted. It does really. go off tangent quite a lot. Yeah, it does. Yeah. 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 How, that's a good first question. How do you wrangle those two when you're trying to... Because um, it seems like Mike's a lot easier to keep. Oh, on. yeah, but he's... No, well, so Mike is a, is a smiling assassin. Right. He'll, he'll happily knife you in the back. Uh, Hask will knife you in the front. Um, it is great, great fun, and and we've yeah. been on a we've been on a hell of a journey actually over the. I mean, we've, we've done it for nearly five years now. Really, God. which is a long time yeah. to, to listen to Hask repeating the same stories, but he <laughs> sort of varies them every so often. We uh, we are three very different peas yeah. from three very different pods, yeah. and yet we have become incredibly good mates, and we've, we're we're. You know, we're, we're heavily in business together now. We've not only got the podcast, but we've got a stake in a production company together. Uh, and actually, we bring out a gin as well, which is which is oh, quite wow. good fun. And that's that's probably a story for another day. But <laughs> we're actually going to try and raise a lot of money for, for for players who need some help because I think the game is the game is creaking a little bit at the moment. But we, we think there, I think solutions are not too far away. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it, and no day is boring and no day is the same. And we will sit down. I, I feel the person I feel most sorry for is our producer who will spend. I was going to say, how do they keep? You? Yeah, well, I mean, that's. I don't. I think they've given up. They they will spend many happy hours crafting a beautiful script yeah. and a, a production running order, and they'll get us all in the right. And the whole thing just, I just see slides you with off like the tray. Do you ever actually get through? You've probably got a penis drawn well, on it by yeah, some, exactly. one of the other two. Um, yeah, do we ever get through? <laughs> It's funny because actually, we, we, it, for, for those of your audience who don't know, we're a, we're a, we're a bit of a man cave that has a love of rugby. Yeah. We're not we're not a rugby podcast. Mike Tyndall obviously has got you know an extraordinary story. He won the World Cup at the age of twenty four. Yeah. He's married the Queen's granddaughter. Hmm. Um, he's very successful in his own right. Public speaker. He's got his own businesses, etc. Uh, and actually, he's very very dialed into the game. He is a real lover of yeah. the sport. Hask brought out an article therefore yesterday's which i think we've all known for years but it was interesting to hear him say it which is that he has got probably high level adhd uh <laughs> and he has he has absolutely made the most of it you yeah. know he is now yeah. a, an award-winning published uh, author he's a dj he's a dad he yeah. is a fitness influencer i mean it's just it never you've, you've never ever seen a diary yeah. like his it's just a car crash of he's color and meetings tour, like, he's doing his own tour yeah. he's doing comedy uh, he actually I mean, we keep both of the saying Tins and I keep saying you've got to calm down yeah. do less for more he's just had a baby as well he's had a baby Bodhi who, you know he's going for dad of the year you know nothing <laughs> that he does is sort of half half baked um, but yeah it, it's, it's just yeah. great fun it, honestly it's three really we, we always say that we would probably meet for a beer once a week even if we weren't doing the pod, yeah. because it's just three very, very different yeah. perspectives. We bounce off each other very well. My role is to play the kind of beta male, even though everyone knows I run the show. Um, and, you know, they can never admit it publicly, but privately they, yeah. they no, do. One day I'll release the tapes. Yeah, exactly. You talk then about uh, the solutions to rugby not being too far off. Yeah. What is happening with the game right now? You've got, you know, players moving to France. I saw yeah. Jack Willis has just signed to yeah. 2026. Yeah, yeah. It's um, well, the game is the rugby is a relatively small goldfish bowl, yeah, is, is the honest truth of it. The World Cup is the third biggest sporting event on the planet, and France in six months or five months to four months' time, whatever it is, will be spectacular. Mm. And uh, therefore, at the top of the game, the, the sport looks unbelievable, but the reality is that the club game and the layers underneath essentially World Cup's Lions and Six Nations, mm. those levels have to scrap for their pound of flesh yeah. the, the problem with the problem with the sport really is there are far too many voices at the top table and there are loads of competing factions and as a result everybody is fighting for their own slice of the cake mm. and nothing is moving forwards very quickly 
which is thoroughly depressing. You wrap that in a a sort of layer of health and safety worries. The concussion lawsuit is is not going away, and that is very concerning. Um, you know, and, and and you begin to look at a sport basically that was founded in the late eighteen hundreds and hasn't really progressed as it should. I mean, professionalism is only thirty years old, or whatever it is, twenty eight years old. We haven't made a very good fist of it. Mm. I think. The real regret, I think, from my perspective, is that when COVID came along, that wasn't the kind of control-alt-delete moment that it should have been. They should have mm. just said, right, everybody stop what you're doing. Let's sit down now and rebuild Has professional game. changed since COVID? No, nothing's no. changed. What's happened is that the bailout money that was pumped into the premiership by um, CVC, or this sort of mm. huge venture capital firm, that's been spent on survival, not yeah. growth. Um the, the Southern Hemisphere game is is withering on the vine. I think if you look at the majority of competitions in the sport right now, um, you know, very few of them you would say are better than they were 10 years ago. Rugby World Cup, yes. Six Nations, yes. Women's oh, no, game, I, I used great. to watch Super Rugby all the <clears throat> yeah, time. I mean, it it's disciple breakfast. It was yeah. brilliant. But now, I don't every even, so I often, maybe. couldn't even tell you who's in it now. Yeah. Um, I don't know who's playing. I don't, I don't know where to watch it. Um, what about the English game, in particular the Prem? Yeah. Do we need less teams? Do we need to go down like the Ireland route? Or is that not feasible? I don't think they'll get down to four. So so Ireland is the Ireland model is very successful because the players are so central contracts yeah. is the way to sort the, the macro out. And that's why you mm. are seeing New Zealand forever remain strong. Oh, I sort of say that. New Zealand and Ireland, they are a, a triangle of of sort of success where yeah. everything from the school game to the All Blacks is linked. And so the All Black head coach can say to an 18-year-old kid who's playing centre, actually, I think you'll be better on the wing and that's where I see your future in Super Rugby and then for the All Blacks. So you can make those changes. In England, it is still, whether they say it publicly or not, it's, there are still major fraction points, friction mm. points between uh, the club and, and union. It, it's better than it ever has been, but it's not joined up. We did a, a show the other day with Anthony Watson, who I think is one of the most talented players yeah, this country's had in... 10 or 15 years. He doesn't know if he's got a club. He doesn't. Well, not only does he not know if he's got a club for next season, mm. he's been forced to move from Bath to Leicester on a, on a 30% um, of, of his previous salary. Mm. He's, you know, he's been made to play when he's injured. He's missed chunks of his career through snap, snapping his ACL and rupturing his Achilles. This is one of the most prime yeah. players in the country. He's I just remember sort of watching, a piece of meat. He's a similar age to me. Um, he's about 28, right? 28, 29. Something like that, yeah. I remember watching on like a computer screen in our school these really old, grainy YouTube videos of this amazing guy with big hair running down the wing. Yeah. It was Anthony Watson. Yeah, yeah. I know. Well, I mean, it, it's, I think it's a real shame that mm. um, I sort of, I, I feel a bit negative saying it. I do think it is going to sort itself out. Yeah. I think they will end up with a, a franchised premiership. I think it'll be 10 teams. So they will buy out all the clubs. Right. They will centralise the whole pot and those that they want to buy their clubs back can do so probably on a preferential rate. Mm. And then you'll have a 10-team league with central control, which means that everybody will grow together. And okay. the problem that you've got at the moment is all the clubs are off doing their own kit deal and their own front of shirt sponsorship and their own uh, beer deal. And mm. it's much more valuable to say to Canterbury, do you want the entire premiership? You're going to have all 10 yeah. teams. And you say to... Ford, do you want to sponsor the front of every single shirt? Do you want to own shirt sponsorship in the mm. premiership? They will write a much bigger check because of the, the cut through that they're going to get. So I think it will get itself. So the problem with rugby is that because there are so many voices, it just moves at a glacial pace. Yeah. Um, but yeah, don't give up. What's that conundrum? How do you fix that, that conundrum between the players aren't getting paid enough, yep. but there's not enough money in the game? Well, that's what we're going through at the moment. Is that player wages are are plummeting, and yeah. in Wales, it's and Wales, it's it's infinitely worse than it is in yeah. in England right now. Um, and it's not only that wages are falling; it's also that the number of playing or playing spots has fallen dramatically as well. So we've lost two clubs, which is mm. you know eighty opportunities for for, for for top level players to ply their trade has has evaporated. And that's why Jack Willis is now yeah. moved from from Wasps, who went into administration, uh, over to Toulouse. It's not just moved; he's he's extended. Yeah, that's a big di like. I know yeah. why he had to go out because Wasps disappeared, but he didn't have but to. But he won't have had the offer to come back yeah. that he he's looking for. And he's had know. injury after injury. He's had injury after just injury. Um, yeah, and I think 
you know, Toulouse offer you a three-year deal. They're the biggest club in the world, bar probably Leinster as, as a province. But yeah. And he, what, he, what his signing has done is it is going to put the pressure on the RFU and this exceptional circumstances rule. So English players are not allowed to play outside of England if they want to play for the country, mm. unless there are exceptional circumstances, which I think everybody knows means it ain't going to happen. But, you know, there, I know Steve Borthwick is desperate to be able to pick whoever he wants, but the clubs won't do it because if the exodus then really turns it turns into a flood, then suddenly the premiership is, is getting even weaker. But do you think that England can compete with the likes of Ireland... France, all these big nations, if we can't pick from whoever we want, if Steve can't pick whoever he wants, can we compete against that? Because um, if we can't pick a Jack Willis... I, I think... I don't think just... I don't think the overseas players, hmm. or, or yeah, players applying their trade overseas, is actually the whole problem. Okay. The system doesn't... I mean, you look at something like the Ireland team who played England in the Grand Slam, decided 13 of those... 23 all play for Leinster they eat together train that, together Andy Goode called the island team in blue the yeah but, it, but 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 yeah, the reality is, is they know each other yeah. inside out yeah. exceptionally well they train together every single day and you listen to someone like Mike Tyndall talk and he says you know when you get to that level the ability to know what body shape your inside center is yeah. is holding will determine what you do and and mm. When you are dealing with, you know, percentiles in terms of performance, that is a massive step yeah. forward. So, yeah, overseas problem is not going to help England's cause. But you know, we've got huge player numbers. We've mm. got the richest union in the world. England will, will I was going to say, always be competitive. I'm not sure the, the France game demonstrates That's that. Nice. They'll always be able to put a team out that can, you know, face the right direction. But they aren't going to be able to hit the levels of 2003 etc without a fairly seismic overhaul yeah. of what they're trying to do and it because it's been what four years now since we've actually been competitive so it's been since the 29 world cup that we've actually uh we won the six nations in 2020 was that the, the covid that was year. the covid one yeah um mm. yeah i mean it, it has been a it's been a relatively Dry, slow yeah. slide yeah and you know, that's that's hugely frustrating. I think y there's been a lot of smoke and mirrors around, you know, Eddie Jones and all that kind of thing. I mean, I don't think Eddie Jones was the reason that England have slid off no. the, the position that they were. Um, you know, Ireland have got a golden generation right now. Mm. France have finally sorted themselves out. New Zealand are always strong, but not as strong as they have been. Yeah. Uh, South Africa will always knock seven bells out of you and see if you can stand up to the test. Um, you know, Wales have gone from Grand Slam champions to absolutely losing at home to Georgia yeah. in the space of three you know the, the top of the tree is it's very very competitive now and England haven't fired the shots in any way shape or form that they'd have liked to but you know it's, it comes from the club game though right well so if, if you look at that well Royal I, I think that's a very interesting point I think the demise of Europe actually which was the perfect kind of springboard between premiership mm. premiership is level three yeah and test match rugby is level one European rugby was was yeah. the perfect sort of interlude. That that has withered on the vine. Yeah. That is not the competition it was. And so you're now asking English players to jump from level three to level one. You know, the England team had you know eight or nine different clubs represented. Ireland has three. Yeah. Um, you know, those are the marginal gains that mean you are gonna win or lose, hmm. I think, at that level when when the when the margins are so tight. Who have you got for the World Cup? God, I wouldn't put a pound on any of it. I think I... Uh, honestly, if I had to, I'd back South Africa. Really? Uh, yeah, and, and, and that is simply because... I did not expect that. I really expected you to say Ireland and New Zealand. No, no. I, South Africa are the perfect World Cup team yeah. because they just hit you until you break. And, you know, the, the, the World Cup is, is two parts. The, the pool stages are all about playing rugby and getting bonus points. Mm. And the quarterfinals are just about protecting your try line. And no one will protect their try line as, as frantically and as manically right. as South Africa will. Um, I, d I don't think they are. I, I mean, it, honestly, it could be any one of New Zealand, France, South Africa, Ireland. I worry about Ireland. Ireland have got the best system. Mm. One or two question marks around Johnny Sexton. I, we, we, you know, I think his injury potentially is quite bad, and that is a huge loss. Not necessarily 
just in terms he of winning players. He said he's not going to play until the World Cup, right? Well, oh yeah, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, uh, hopefully. Mm. I think France are phenomenal, but if you lose Dupont, you know, there's so much rugby to be played. Mm. You know, they've each got four warm-up games before you even get to the tournament. There's five pool matches. There's, you know, will Dupont be fit at a World Cup final? Yeah. God, I hope so, because he is the Messi of rugby right now. But there's so much that's going to go on between now and then and then you just throw into the the pot the absolute lottery of red cards at this point um it, 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 it's it's very very difficult to 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 pick a winner because of, there are so many intangibles but that also makes it a phenomenal tournament and it will be an incredible two months of color and late late summer sun and yeah. but i think rugby fans sort of are going to have to hold on quite tight and be prepared that you know only one is left holding the pot yeah. and there's a lot of disappointment for everybody else. And do you think England actually have a chance? I think England will be way better than we saw in the Six Nations. Um, I think they've got a very, very favourable pool draw. Yes. Yeah. Um, quite a good run <clears> to the semis, really. Quite a good run to the semis. And then and then anything can happen. Yeah. You know, Steve Borthwick is a very, very, very astute coach. Mm. Kevin Sinfield is learning rapidly what it takes at the top level. And yeah. do not underestimate, there are two guys coming into that England setup. Alan Walters at Leicester is the fitness guru, who's the most mad, lovely, yeah. charismatic Welshman who will really lift mm. player morale, performance, fitness levels, etc. And Richard Wigglesworth, who is who will sort of take is on the attack. He's coming in to do attack. Yeah, yeah, so he's joining full time. Oh, yeah. um, I think England will be. Do you know, funnily enough, and I, I sort of said this a couple of times before, it's no bad thing going into a tournament with people not really looking at you right now. And you see it. I mean, even in 2019, South Africa lost to yeah. New Zealand in the pools. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to go in. As, they were terrible, like 18 they, months yeah, out. Awful, yeah, awful, awful. And then you look at Argentina, who lost to Japan mm. in the World Cup pool yeah. stages. You look at England, who won the cricket um, T20. They lost to Ireland in the pool stages. What you need to be as a team when you arrive at the tournament is is 80% of what you want to be at the end. Mm. And my worry for Ireland is I think they are 98% of what they can be at the end of the tournament. Yeah. And so there is more of a danger of them dropping performance levels than raising them. They've made it a, a habit of peaking between World yeah, Cups. They are very, very good now. They're they are. And, and they, are, they are very, very good now. Um, and they have got so much strength in depth. The rugby that they are playing is so much broader yeah. in perspective than it was. Um, so I think, but you know, they've got a hell of a group, South yeah. Africa and Scotland. I mean, Scotland, yeah. for Christ's sake, can I mean, take they, chunks they out of anyway. They're playing a lot better than they've ever yeah. have as well. Um, you know, even Italy can take the chunk, chunk out of somebody on their mm. day. So it's, I mean, oh yeah, as I said, go back to your question. I wouldn't put a pound on anybody. No, it's going to be a great tournament though. Hope so. Very much looking forward to it. I'm going to Lille and Lyon for three games right. each. Uh, we're on a cruise in Marseille. Yeah, I've heard I don't know about what this. the hell we're doing, but 4,000 rugby fans. On the cruise? On the, on the cruise, yeah. Off to Ibiza. Don't, don't ask. <laughs> um, I'll wrap this up with a question that I'm asking. Well, actually, it's the first time I've asked anybody this. Um, what's your biggest lesson from building a business? God, that is a very good question. My biggest lesson um, <clears throat> is probably, I don't know if it's a lesson or a motto, keep going keep going and stay alive. So we are, yeah, I, I don't know whether that's a very good answer or not, but the number of times as a business owner that you doubt and that you uh, want to quit and throw it in the bin and people tell you what you're doing is wrong and clients get upset and you just got to keep going. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it, that probably is the lesson I've learned more than any other particular, I mean, trying to grow a business, we're, five and a half, six years old, we've had COVID and a world war and a recession and a banking run and, um, you know, the housing market's collapsing and no one's spending any money. You know, mm. I keep saying at some point we'll, we'll get a tailwind and then we're off and running. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I think, I think resilience and persistence and belief are, are almost the most important elements no. of running a business. I don't know whether you'd. No, I, I completely agree. I think that one of the biggest things you need in any form of life is just to keep going, keep going. when you're doubting yourself or when stuff goes wrong. Yeah. The amount of people that if they just kept doing their business for another three or four months. Yeah. I know it's easier said than done. It's the done. diamond in the mine, isn't it? Exactly. Keep going. Exactly. And we keep, um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the number of times that I've literally had my head in my hands and an email comes in and suddenly there's a, yeah. 
deal that I thought had gone is, is bad. It, something always comes along yeah. if you're prepared to keep going. Somebody in my team said to me a few weeks ago, like, do you have good days or bad days? And I was like, not really. There's good things and bad things yeah. in every single day when you're working in business or running a business or whatever. And if you can just get through it yeah. and enjoy the highs and don't hate the lows. I have good five minutes and then the bad five minutes. Yeah. And then the bad five minutes and the good five minutes. Yeah. And it's, yeah, oh, to have a good day. Yeah. That would be a real <laughs> treat. Alex, thanks so much. Great Appreciate fun. It. Thanks, Amelia. Thank cool. you.